Good evening, everyone, and welcome to this program, which is presented by Kentuckians for Single-Payer Healthcare. We're recording the program tonight, and we hope to make it available so that others may learn from our presentation and discussion. We are pleased tonight to uh, be able to bring you the program. We uh, think that the presentation will be approximately 40 or 45 minutes, and that will be followed by about 45 minutes of questions and answers. We are hoping that this event will be the beginning of building an understanding about the privatization of Medicare and the threat that it poses to our seniors and to the Medicare Trust Fund and to the goal that we seek, which is a national single payer program and to move, remove the profit making entities from our healthcare and assure that we can provide every single person with healthcare of high quality without any financial barriers. Uh, so that's what we're hoping to do. And we're very pleased to have with us Dr. Corinne Frugoni, and I have just misplaced the bio she gave me, so I'm going to try to see if I can do it. She is a family physician. She is in Humboldt County, California. She has worked with the Indian Health Program, and she has worked with occupational therapy, and she has served as co-chair of Physicians for a National Health Program in California. And uh, she is well-versed in the topic for tonight. And I'm going to turn it over to Corinne. Thank you. You have a very good memory. And thank you so much for inviting me. I'm just, uh, just very pleased to be able to give a talk on the privatization of Medicare for people in Kentucky and Alaska and California and Pennsylvania. I see people from all over the place. So this is just great. And um, I will start with, with my slideshow. How's that for a beginning? So I'm gonna go to share screen and let's see if it works. Slideshow for beginning. Okay, can everybody see the slides? Mm -hmm. Yes. And yes. hear me well, at the same time. All right. It's great. Well, um, I, I just also want to thank Kay for organ. You have a great group of people in Kentucky. And I want to thank everyone for all the great work you're doing. I see Kay Tillo's name all over the place on all different organizations and union organizing and huge, incredible lists that she's put together with all the things that are happening in terms of uh, dealing with the privatization of Medicare and pushing for single payer. So thank you all and thank you, Kay. And I bet one of the most nerve wracking things you had to do was just organizing this and doing the Zoom technical aspect. So congratulations. <laughs> anyway, here is the topic that I'm gonna be presenting. It is indeed on Medicare privatization that is being done by two major forces. One is Medicare Advantage and the other is direct contracting entities, which soon will be renamed ACO Reach as of January 1st, 2023. So we have about two weeks before we see the new name plastered or not plastered to so much is done under the radar. But when you start reading about these private entity firms taking over Medicare and draining the Medicare trust fund, it, the new name will be ACO Reach. 
And the reason this is so important to me is because I see it as a definite obstacle to trying to implement single payer. And also when I turned 65 a number of years ago, it was a major relief for me to be able to sign up for traditional Medicare, as it might have been for many of you, if, if for those of you who are 65 and beyond. But when, unfortunately, what is happening is that uh, there is a very dangerous trend at this time to privatize the Medicare trust fund, mostly for profit, not for care. And the organizations that are doing this are Medicare Advantage and ACO Reach. This poses a major threat to seniors and those with certain chronic disabilities that are eligible for Medicare. The ones I know of are uh, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, which is also called Lou Gehrig's, and uh, people with kidney failure who need dialysis. They're also on Medicare. But I will keep referring to seniors because it's easier to say at this point. But certainly people with chronic disabilities are affected just as uh, harshly, if not more so. And I want to, during this topic, introduce you, educate you, give you information about what's going on, why it's so dangerous, and what we can do to stop this trend and um, how we can organize around this. My next slide is of a roller coaster. And the reason I put this roller coaster slide in is because it is this whole topic is complicated and it is crazy. It's it's almost better than a horror novel uh, because it's it's just so surprising at how badly and how evil some of these organizations are and what they plan to do. But I want to tell you once you've sat through this presentation, you will know more than ninety to ninety five percent of most residents in this country, most physicians, and most politicians. So even if you just glean a little bit from this organization, from this presentation, please pass it on to other people and use it to organize some uh, activity against the privatization of Medicare. So let's start with the beginning of traditional Medicare, which was started under Lyndon Johnson in 1965. What this did was set up a Medicare trust fund that's run by the government. It's not for profit and it's paid for through our payroll taxes. And it's set up to provide care for seniors once they turn 65 and over. What's the beauty of the, Medicare, of the traditional Medicare is that the payments are made directly to physicians and other healthcare providers and to hospitals. There's no middlemen. Unfortunately, it's a bit complicated because there are a number of parts. There's part A that pays for hospital. There's part B for outpatient care. Part D is um, a subscription you have to get for medications. And then if seniors can afford it, they will also get a supplemental insurance called Medigap. And that covers expenses that um, traditional Medicare doesn't cover. Unfortunately, vision, dental, and hearing are mostly excluded. And um, that is an issue for many uh, people in this country because we all need that kind of care. At this point, medic traditional Medicare is basically just medical care. So what happened? Well, in the 1990s, there was a new program that was introduced. It had a number of different names, but the most recent name is called Medicare Advantage. We like to call it Medicare Disadvantage. And it has changed the way that Medicare pays for seniors' care. Um, it provides benefits to um, 
uh, to seniors via a middleman that's a private for-profit insurance company. And there are multiple, multiple insurance companies that provide, um, who take money from Medicare trust fund and then distribute it to seniors. Uh, they can, these managed care medical advantage programs incorporate parts A and B and sometimes D and they also add for bonuses, sometimes to a limited extent, vision, hearing, and dental. They'll also sometimes throw in a gym membership or meals on wheels or transportation, all kinds of little packages to try to lure seniors to signing up for Medicare Advantage. Now, remember these companies are middlemen that get in the way between the trust fund that we have and the provider and hospitals, and ultimately the get in the way between you as a traditional Medicare recipient and your doctor or other healthcare provider. Now, that was a simple graphic. This is what it looks like more closely. If you look, here's the Medicare trust fund. It distributes money monthly to various for private insurance companies that then create all sorts of shenanigans and webs of payment to ultimately to the providers of healthcare. So this is what it looks like actually uh, more closely. It resembles more closely what's actually happening. Now, I don't know about in Kentucky and other states, but in California, I think it's national, we had Medicare enrollment and it was a, a couple of months. And during that time, I know I was inundated with multiple invitations to hear about the various Medicare programs that are available that I could sign up with. And if you look here at this postcard that I received, it's Humboldt County is where I live. It looks like an official government notice. But if you, I didn't photograph it unfortunately, but if you went down to the right-hand corner in very small print, it would say, this is not this is not a government Medicare plan. This was really an invitation to go hear about a Medicare Advantage program and to try to convince me to sign up for a Medicare Advantage program. So you can see that there are a number of deceptive practices that Medicare Advantage programs do participate in to try to get as many seniors to sign up as possible, because the more seniors they sign up, the more money they get from the Medicare trust fund. Thank goodness the Medicare enrollment period is over and I'm not getting any more mail like this. Um, because there's so many deceptive practices that the Medicare Advantage programs are engaged in, there was actually a report put out by the US Senate Committee on Finance, which um, there's a subcommittee that was run, is chaired by Senator Wyden out of Oregon. And uh, they have exposed a lot of these marketing practices that lure seniors in that, that are basically pretty fraudulent. One of the ways that they get more seniors to sign up is that Medicare Advantage programs actually pay a much higher commission to insurance brokers if they can get a senior to sign up for Medicare Advantage. So as you can see, between 2016 and 2020, the commission that a broker receives from a Medicare Advantage program is higher than the commission that they receive from selling a Medigap supplemental insurance to traditional Medicare. And then there's little old Part D that doesn't, they don't get a whole lot of money from it at all. And so there's usually not much attention paid to that part of uh, 
applying for insurance. In addition to getting a higher commission for selling a, a senior to a Medicare Advantage program, the agents will get an approximate 50% annual commission, annual commission uh, for the lifetime of the senior being enrolled in that particular Medicare Advantage program. So that they will get it until the senior either changes the plan or changes brokers. So that's one way that they get to enroll so many seniors. I have to tell you that I don't know if AARP is popular in Kentucky, but uh, I see it, it's very popular in California and it espouses to be a, a, a voice for seniors, but they get millions and millions of dollars for convincing seniors to sign up for Medicare Advantage programs, specifically ones run by United Healthcare, which is the largest insurance company in the United States. So watch out for AARP. There's some lovely, uh, better, much better alternatives for seniors organizations that uh, are working on much more progressive causes and certainly not trying to make money off of seniors. Now, how do Medicare Advantage plans actually make their money? Well, they try to get patients that don't use a lot of services. That's called cherry picking. And one of the reasons there is so much uh, so much advertising and mail during the Medicare enrollment period is they're trying, the Medicare Advantage programs are trying to get the younger seniors, the ones that are just turning 65, because those seniors tend to be healthier. Then they also establish networks. Networks are contracts that these each Medicare Advantage program has with a group of uh, healthcare providers and hospitals. And once a senior signs up for the Medicare Advantage program, they are limited to seeing those providers that are in the network that that particular Medicare Advantage program has set up. Now, this is all fine. Seniors who are healthy, who don't have complicated medical conditions, uh, who don't have uh, some bad illness that they've just gotten diagnosed, do very well. They don't have to worry. But if a senior gets very, very sick and wants to see a specialist outside the network or wants to go to a hospital outside the network or wants to go to one of the uh, cancer care centers that specialize in very specific cancers, they may be out of luck. Because first of all, very few of the cancer centers, the well-known cancer centers uh, have contracts with Medicare Advantage because it, their treatment is very expensive. So let's say the senior has signed up for Medicare Advantage and within the first year they go, oops, I made a mistake, no problem. But if they've been on Medicare Advantage for over one year and they decide, I really do wanna see a specialist outside the network, or I really wanna go to a hospital where they have more experience in a certain kind of surgery, then they have much more difficulty. They can indeed sign up for traditional Medicare, but the Medigap insurance that I talked about that pays for the extra expenses, the co-pays, the deductibles that still exist under Medicare, traditional Medicare, they may not be able to access them because this is the one time that the Medigap private insurance companies, the private insurance companies that actually offer a Medigap supplemental do not have to insure someone who's considered to have a pre-existing condition. And most seniors who leave traditional Medicare often have been diagnosed with a condition and then it's considered pre-existing. So there are only 
the ACA, let me try it. The ACA actually mandated that every person can get insurance uh, and they cannot be, uh, they cannot be uh, uh, prevented from getting insurance if they have what's called a so-called so -called pre-existing condition. But this is the one case where private insurance companies do not have to insure somebody with a pre-existing condition. Um, it's called guarantee. The, issue, the idea of guaranteed issue means that everyone can get insurance. And there are only four states that guarantee guaranteed issue in, in this country. Kentucky is not one of them. California is not one of them. Um, the other aspect of trying to get Medigap insurance, if you have been enrolled for over a year in a Medicare Advantage program, is something called community ratings, which requires that insurance companies charge the same premiums to everyone that they enroll in their, in their insurance program. Um, when a senior leaves a Medicare Advantage program, they actually, if they can get Medigap, they may actually be charged more. And there are eight states in the country that prevent that from happening. California is not one of them, neither is Kentucky. So we talked about the limiting of care via networks, and this is one of the many one of the many ways that Medicare Advantage uh, doesn't cover uh, care that is more more expensive through hospitals, doesn't cover medications that may be needed for uh, more complicated medical conditions. But the biggest way and the most lucrative way that Medicare Advantage actually makes money is through something called upcoding. And here's an example of uh, uh, upcoding in action. On the left, we have a generic 76-year-old woman who has some medical conditions. Each of these medical conditions gets a score. It's a diagnosis score. It has nothing to do with care. It has nothing to do with what actually treatment they've received. It's just a, a, a name. It's, it's, a, it's a title. And these all, so this 76-year-old woman has a multiple medical conditions. They each have a score. They get added up. And the total is what determines how much the Medicare trust fund pays for that specific senior for the year. In this case, it is $9,000. Well, what happens with Medicare Advantage? They want to make more money. So they do something called upcoding. And they make the initial diagnoses more complicated. How do they do this? Well, there's many, many ways. One of the ways they do it is by having uh, a home health visit, which sounds great. You know, here are these caring health professionals that come into the home and you expect that they will are interested in your care, but they have a hidden agenda. They want to make these initial diagnoses sound more complicated. So they may ask leading questions like, oh, Mrs. So-and-so, how have you been feeling? You've been feeling a little blue lately? Oh, uh, well, yes, uh, I, I sure have. I've been home alone for two years with COVID. And so the professional will ask then, well, um, ha it has been for more than six weeks that you've been feeling pretty blue? Oh, yes. Well, boom, major depression, which in this case gets zero on the left in the original diagnosis becomes a 0.395. They do this with all these various conditions. Asthma becomes a more complicated respiratory condition called chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, and that becomes a 0.328. You add all these additional complications, which have nothing to do with care, just names. And all of a sudden, the Medicare Advantage program gets $32,000 for the same patient, regardless of the care that is provided. 
So finally, this is coming to light. There was a great article in the New York Times called The Cash Monster Was Insatiable, Cash Monster Being Medicare Advantage. How insurers exploited Medicare for billions. That's with a B, billions. And they did an investigative report. And of course they have the resources to really delve into it. And actually they got a lot of information from Physicians for a National Health Program of which I am a very proud member. Um, and that, that organization I can tell you about a little later. You, many of you have probably heard about it already. But anyway, they get this, this very good article exposing how Medicare Advantage is draining the Medicare trust fund. And the fraud that they're committing. Whoops, how am I, what's happening with that? So um, these are some of the big insurers that are involved in the Medicare Advantage uh, programs. And the checks all stand for areas where they have been accused either of fraud by a whistleblower, that's in the first column, accused of fraud by the US government in the middle column, or overbilled according to the inspector general. Now, how did they do this? Well, there are many, many ways besides these lovely home visits that I talked about first. One of, for instance, Kaiser Permanente, they would call the doctors during their lunch and after work and urge them to add additional illnesses to the medical records of the patients that they haven't seen in weeks or months. And those doctors who found more diagnoses often earned a bottle of champagne or a bonus in their paycheck. Um, Anthem, which is now called Elevance, uh, paid more to doctors who said their patients were sicker. And the executives at United Health Group, which is, as I mentioned, the country's largest insurer, told their workers to mine old records, medical records for more illnesses. And if they couldn't come up with more data, they were told to check them out again. So each of these strategies, which were described by the Justice Department in lawsuits against the companies, had a diagnosis of serious diseases that might never have existed. But it brought in a lot more money for each of these companies. So look at this. This is amazing. This is my favorite slide. Um, Medicare Advantage overbilling exceeds entire agency budgets. With the amount of money that they have uh, overbilled the trust fund by upcoding, by uh, making up diagnoses, by submitting codes of uh, conditions for patients that never existed or maybe existed uh, when they were younger. For example, uh, a 16 year old might have broken their wrist now they're 75, the same person 75 years old, but they include that fracture in their list of diagnoses that gives them more money. So all those ways that Medicare Advantage overbills has cost the Medicare trust fund between 12 and $25 billion in 2020, just in one year over what they should have gotten. And that overbilling is more than NASA, more than the Children's Health Insurance Program, more than the US Customs and Border Protection, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the EPA, and the federal prison system. Very lucrative if you have a couple of billion to spend <clears throat> in investing. Well, that's pretty bad. All of this is pretty bad. And they've been, and Medicare Advantage has been successful in, uh, in convincing 50% of seniors in this country to sign up for Medicare Advantage. But that leaves 50% that haven't signed up. So income, Wall Street and private investment firms. <clears throat> 
and they call themselves direct contracting entities, which will be renamed ACO Reach in January 1st of this coming year, in less than two weeks. These new programs could complete the entire privatization of Medicare, and I will go into it, but first we go through a little history. We all know that Secretary Xavier Becerra was appointed by Biden to run the health and human services of this country, the department of this country. Under health and human services, there are multiple departments. They are all very foggy on this chart. Don't worry about it. The point is there is one uh, department called the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, acronym is CMS, and it manages Medicare. Under CMS, there are multiple departments as well. And one of them is called the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation. Their acronym is CMMI. Their mandate is to fund demonstration projects that will improve care and decrease costs. Now they have multiple demonstration projects. Most of them are very small. Like if, uh, if somebody gets a specialized uh, glucose checking machine for their diabetes, will their diabetes improve? That's the level that they're at. But there's this humongous demonstration project that CMMI now is helping to fund and promote. And that is the direct contracting entity, soon to be called ACO REACH program. The person who runs this department is a woman named Liz Fowler. She's the director. Now, Liz Fowler is one, an example of one of the government employees that goes through the revolving door between private industry, back into the public realm, back to the private industry, back and forth. Now, interestingly, she was an insurance executive of at least three insurance companies when she was in the private sector. She also helped design the Affordable Care Act. And thank goodness for the Affordable Care Act, it did provide subsidies so many, many more people could get insurance in this country. Our public funds then were funneled into paying premiums to private insurance companies. So it kept the system as it is, um, but it did provide more insurance for many, many people. Now, before we had Liz Fowler as director of CMMI, we had Adam Bowler, who ran CMMI when direct contracting entities were first proposed in 2019 under Trump. And Adam Bowler was the former roommate of Jared Kushner, who you may recall is the son-in-law of the previous president. Uh -huh. Before CMMI, Bowler, ran a startup called Landmark Health, which became one of the very first direct contracting entities to contract with Medicare. So what is direct contracting and ACO reach? Well, I showed you a graph of the simple Medicare trust fund paying directly to providers. And then we got a middleman. That's this part of the graph, which you could which I hope I showed you how complicated it could get. Well, now we have a whole new layer of hidden players. These are Wall Street investors and they are flooding this new group of middlemen with money expecting very big profits. Um, there are currently 99 direct contracting entities in existence that have been approved by CMMI. As of 2023, if I have it correctly, there will be 123 more that are now called ACO REACH. And all the previous companies that are called, were called DCEs will now be called ACO REACH. 
What's interesting and what's alarming is that virtually any type of company can apply to be a REACH middleman, including commercial insurance companies and private equity investors. There is no requirement that these entities that form these REACH companies have to have any experience in healthcare or interest in healthcare except to make money. So the conundrum is, how do these companies that claim that they will improve care and save Medicare money still make enough profit to keep their investors happy? And that's the big question. So how do these companies make, well, yeah, how do these companies make money? Well, one of the ways they do it is by um, maximizing the revenue for Medicare, as we showed you, as I showed you through the Medicare Advantage programs, and they're bringing it up a notch, and I will tell you that in a short while. They also minimize revenue spent on patient care. So they convince a physician organization that has employed many primary care physicians, maybe 20, maybe 100, to sign up. And then they promise these physicians less paperwork. And even though they say that the Medicare payment rates will be less, they, these doctors are promised that they will receive a portion of the shared savings of this group. So unfortunately, that may insidiously incentivize some doctors to make money by not ordering special tests, by not ordering an MRI, by not sending a patient to a specialist. Now, Many times I've had to say to a patient, you really don't need this, but I hope, and I, I know I did because I had nothing to do with these organizations, I was on salary, that my decision or my discussion with the patient was based on best evidence, that based on what the patient presented with, they really didn't need that extra care. Um, and so, but now th this decision may be influenced by saving money for the entity that is seeking profit in, in care. So it can unfortunately influence doctors in how they provide care, but they can also, these companies can minimize revenue by minimizing or reducing office staff in the office. So it's much harder to get an appointment uh, by using uh, people who charge less to provide care and increasing the number of patients that a physician sees. They can also not pay for repairs. They can also not pay for new equipment that's needed in an office practice. And then they also make money by enrolling as many seniors, as many beneficiaries as they possibly can. And they do this, as I mentioned, by going to physician organizations and, and luring them into signing up with this promise of shared savings uh, into their entity. And once the organization has, the physician organization has signed up, these companies, these programs have access to the claims data of the seniors that are on traditional Medicare that are being seen by the physician organization. And they are then aligned, that's what they like to say, aligned. It's more like assigned or scooped up into their program, their ACO REACH program. And this is done without the senior's consent and without their knowledge. So 
all of the patients who opted for traditional Medicare when they became eligible for Medicare are now enrolled in a group that can profit from reduced care. And Medicare, these programs want to have uh, everyone enrolled either in Medicare Advantage or in a private investment entity by 2030. So this is, these are all very dangerous incentives to uh, ration and restrict seniors care. And this does not exist. These financial incentives do not exist in traditional Medicare. Now there's a little aside. I told you how the uh, ACO REACH programs are now um, getting their seniors into their programs. But before that, they actually, when the program first started, they were assigned 13 regions in the country. I can't remember any of them except for Tampa for some reason. And they were then able to go to these cities, look up all the seniors that were enrolled in traditional Medicare and do the same thing, assign them into their entities. That actually did create a bit of a, a, a uproar and that program was stopped. So that is why now these entities approach physician organizations. And they also are approaching big pension funds. They're, they're, all, they're trying ways where more seniors are enrolled. They don't go for the small cottage industries because they're not big enough at this point to be profitable uh, to sign up seniors when a physician may only see you know, 50 or 100 in a year. What happens once a patient, well, let me tell you, I, I thought I had the slide, but somehow I skipped it. There is a program that is in Kentucky called Illumed. I think their primary office is in Florida, but they have a board of directors of about, oh, I don't know, 15, 20 people. And on that board of directors is only one person who has any experience with healthcare and that is a nurse. But more importantly, Re more recently in their glossy website, they talk about how they just hired a new medical director from Humana, which is a big insurance company that does a lot of work with Medicare Advantage. So you can imagine what, what his goals are. Um, it's not providing healthcare, or it may be providing healthcare, but at the cheapest level. And they're very proud of the fact that they were able to receive $16.5 million from investors. So you know, once again, why are Wall Street investors so interested in a company that claims it will save money for Medicare and improve, improve quality? Well, let's go back to the senior, the unfortunate senior who wasn't traditional Medicare, who got enrolled into one or assigned or aligned into one of these private ACO entities. Eventually, they do get a letter from the uh, entity. And as people who've heard this talk before, I, I've said that if I got a letter like that and it said no action needed, it doesn't say I won the lottery, it doesn't say I owe money, it just says no action needed and it has a lot of paragraphs underneath that don't make a lot of sense, I would throw it in a circular file. But there are seniors who are much more diligent than I am and they read the letter and they have already knows what's going on with the ACO REACH programs. And they call the company and they say, I'm in traditional Medicare. I do not want to be in your entity. So what happens? A very pleasant voice on the other end says, well, you can leave, you still have traditional Medicare, but in order to leave, you have to change your primary care physician. And this can be very difficult for seniors who live in rural or underserved 
safe areas um, because there may not be anybody else they can go to. It also disrupts continuity of care. And continuity of care is very, very important to develop a trusting relationship with your doctor or other provider at, because they know you. They know what works, what doesn't work, what's important, what's not as important. They've developed a rapport, hopefully. And this is all disrupted. So it really does affect people seniors who live in rural or underserved areas more than other seniors where they may still have a bit of choice, but once again, they have to leave their primary care physician. And traditional Medicare does not do that. Traditional Medicare promises free choice of provider. It does not interfere with the patient provider relationship. So back a year ago, it's been a year in December of 2021, and I see Claire Cohen in this picture, and I think she's uh, attending this, this uh, talk, um, a number of physicians went to Washington, D.C. with a petition of about 10,000 signatures to present to Becerra. And Dr. Cohen, you can tell me if I'm wrong. Um, and they were not allowed to go into the building of Health and Human Services. They wanted to give the petition to Becerra that they couldn't. However, Liz Fowler, who is the director of CMMI, came down and apparently was very gracious and talked to this group of physicians and told them that the plan is to privatize all of Medicare by 2030, which is seven years from now. Now with the way things are going, the Medicare trust fund may become insolvent before then, but the plan is to privatize it all by 2030. Well, this, these physicians and others who, got, who became aware of what actually is going on put out uh, uh, a lot of publicity and education. And with that public pressure um, that was initiated by these doctors who went to Washington DC, an alarm was sounded and they, uh, a letter by Pramila Jayapal, who's a Congresswoman out of Seattle was written to her fellow legislative colleagues and uh, to, to notify them of what's going on with this program of privatizing Medicare and draining the Medicare trust fund. It created quite an uproar, but what happened? It did not terminate the program. It just changed the name. And the name went from direct contracting entities to something that's called now, as I keep referring, ACO REACH. And what does ACO REACH stand for? It stands for Accountable Care Organization. REACH stands for Realizing Equity in Community Health, which sounds good. You know we. Most of us really do want equal access, good quality care uh, and community health uh, programs, public health programs that will improve the health of everyone. So who could be against that? But if you look more closely, these equity programs, these incentives, I'm sorry, these equity incentives that are touted may actually give these middlemen private investment entities a way to profiteer from underserved communities. And this is some of, these are some of the ways they do it. If one of these entities is able to enroll a number of seniors from underserved uh, or poorer areas, they will get an extra $360 per senior. That doesn't mean they have to get more care. It's just a numbers game. They have more people from um, poorer residencies with lower income. And the other thing that is done is they can now include certain demographic factors like race and income to increase 
the upcoding to increase the seniors or enrollees risk score. Now, the social, social determinants of health are now being looked at seriously. These are determinants of health that are not directly related to a health, uh, a medical condition. They are things like exposure to pollution, poor transportation, poor housing, poor nutrition. These things affect health just as much, if not more so than an actual medical condition in terms of the overall health of an individual and the community. So of course we wanna look at social determinants of health, but in these programs, these social determinants of health are just used to increase the amount of money that the ACO REACH programs can extract from the Medicare trust fund because there is no provision that care actually has extra care has to be provided, even though these programs are getting extra money. The last thing that happens, well, not the last, but another thing that is required by these ACO REACH programs is that they have to fill out a worksheet that is called an equity plan. How are they actually going to improve equity and community health? Well, I've seen one of these worksheets. It's a page and it looks like a worksheet from the seventh grade for a homework sheet from the seventh grade student. And it's very, it's pretty simple. It's like, who do you expect to enroll? And how are you gonna go about getting to enroll extra people, you know, more people that are of lower income or of uh, uh, communities of color or those that have been underserved in the past. And they fill out this worksheet, but they've already been approved to be an ACO REACH program. So they don't have to show their plan to get approval. They've already been approved. So they fill out this plan and what happens? There is no accountability for actually providing extra care. I don't know what happens to the worksheets. Maybe it goes in the same circular file that I put my, that I would put my, uh, problematic and potential letter from an ACO REACH entity. Um, there is no accountability for actually providing extra care, but they do get extra money. So uh, this means that these middlemen are not accountable for improving equity. And, you know, it's why did they even add this? And it's probably just because it looked good. But there, once again, there's no, uh, no extra care provided, no extra research into um, what can make uh, communities health better. So if we look at how the monies are spent and where it all goes, let's compare the three big programs that are involved with Medicare. If you see traditional Medicare, you can see they spend about 2% on overhead and there's no profit. So 98% goes to patient care in traditional Medicare. Under Medicare Advantage, they can keep 15% for overhead and profit, so only 85% goes to patient care. But if you look at the ACO REACH entities, they are allowed to keep between 25 and 40%. It's usually more like 25% for overhead and profits, which means a lot less goes to patient care. Now, some of these entities are finding that providing healthcare is very, very expensive. And so they have to find other ways to get more money to make their investors happy. And one of the ways they do it is something called a quality withhold. So under Medicare Advantage, if Medicare Advantage program does not meet certain quality, quote, quality metrics um, at a 5%, if they, if they have, if they have more than 5% 
of seniors that don't meet these quality criteria, they have to return a hefty chunk of money back to Medicare. Well, this drops to 2% for ACO REACH entities, which of course means there's less incentive to provide quality care for the people who've been enrolled in their entities. Another way that they can make more money is that they can retain 100% of the first 25% drop in spending. So if, a patient, if the ACO entity is getting $10,000 for a patient annually from Medicare Trust Fund, and they only spend $7,500, they get to keep the full $2,500, 100%. So that adds to their uh, profit, which they can then pass on to their shareholders. And there are many other ways of high finance that I do not understand, but if you go to the CMS website, they explain them in excruciating detail, but that doesn't mean it's clear. Let's review how these ACO REACH programs are different from Medicare Advantage. These are two separate programs that are and, and became draining the Medicare trust fund and ultimately leading, it can lead to the privatization of the total privatization of Medicare. Medicare Advantage seniors who, or people with chronic disabilities who sign up for Medicare Advantage, they get to choose their plan. It may be a forced choice because seniors, many seniors are on limited income and a premium under Medicare Advantage is a lot less than a premium that's paid for through the Medigap supplemental insurance program that people pay into when they sign up for traditional Medicare. It can be a difference between $220 a month for Medicare a supplemental plan called Medigap to pay for the extra expenses of med traditional Medicare versus $18 a month. Plus you get promised, you know, gym memberships and vision and hearing and dental. Although in some counties like the county I live in, there is no dental. In other counties, dental means one teeth cleaning a year and nothing else. Those that are, those seniors that are placed in the ACO REACH plans never chose them. The Medicare Advantage plans can keep up to 15%, like I just showed you. The REACH programs can keep up to 20 to 40% for overhead and profit. And lastly, Medicare Advantage was approved by Congress, whereas the REACH plans have never been approved by Congress. There is no congressional oversight over these programs. They are all running under the radar, which is why they are the low-hanging fruit for us to try to stop them and why it's also very important to let legislators know what's going on because many really don't know what's going on. They've never heard of ACO REACH um, and they, they, they are pretty unaware of how, how much Medicare Advantage programs are, are draining the Medicare Trust Fund. So why should we stop the ACO REACH program? Well, in the CMS website, there is a very nicely written aim to increase the number of beneficiaries in a care relationship with accountability for quality and total cost of care. That sounds good, but what it really means is we wanna privatize all of Medicare by 2030, uh, by, uh, make, by creating these accountable care organizations that sound like they're making uh, hospitals and doctors accountable for the care that's provided to, to their patients, but it's really making them accountable to the for-profit corporations so that they can make enough profit to keep their investors happy. What happens if the ACO REACH model does get their uh, goal of privatizing Medicare? Well, as I keep referring to the fact that 
the Medicare trust fund is being drained, we may not have a Medicare trust fund, or if we do, it's our public monies that keep going into it, but all going to private uh, for-profit corporations. This in turn threatens seniors' health and healthcare choices. So this, is, this will put us back 40, 50, 60 years, 65 years from before Medicare was established. And to show you how lucrative this idea of direct contracting entities is, we have Mr. Bezos. And he is very happy because back in June or July, he acquired a direct contracting and primary care organization called One Medical, which exists in south of San Francisco. And you better believe that Amazon is going to use all their strategies and techniques to extract yet more profit out of healthcare to seniors and people with chronic illnesses. Now, I found this photo. And this, I can't, who is the, I can't find the Grinch, but here's the Santa. This is in Louisville in your state. And there was a protest against the privatization of Medicare at the Humana building. And um, Humana is one of the direct contracting entities that is trying to privatize all of Medicare. So congratulations on having this uh, fest festive demonstration. I think it was it occurred at the end of November. It looks a little cold. Other things, I've been talking a lot of doom and gloom, but there are a lot of things that can be done to stop the, the ACO REACH programs first. They've gotta be stopped. And then we've gotta look at how we can improve uh, the Medicare Advantage programs before we get rid of them altogether. Uh, there's a lot of strategies, but we've gotta go after the ACO REACH. And one of the things that Kay has been involved in, that other organizations have been involved in is uh, working with unions, because unions have, if we're going to look at dealing with corporations, which and it's all about power, that's what it's about, power of taking over not only the care of uh, our residents in the country, but taking over basically just about all public services. The unions have the strength if they get organized as a unit to actually stand up to the uh, big corporations. So this is an example of a um, resolution that was passed by the Austin, oh, who was it? Okay, maybe you know. Oh, the, Aust the Austin AFL-CIO Central Labor Council to oppose the Medicare ACO REACH program and ask the Biden administration to immediately stop and dismantle the program. Remember I said there's no congressional oversight. So Biden could actually stop the program with a stroke of a pen. And and, and they also emphasize preserving traditional Medicare. So there are unions, there are community groups, there's individuals, there's petitions to send, there's letters to write to ind individual legis legislators who represent you. Remember, we're the constituents. They may, some of them may be getting a lot of money from big corporations, but we have the votes. If you can organize a group of constituents from various programs, Democratic Party, Rotary Clubs, um, League of Women Voters, single-payer activist programs, you get them all together and you sit down with the your legislator, and maybe you have to do it in two or three sessions, um, you may be able to convince them, A, first you will educate them because most people won't know what it's about, and then perhaps you can at least get them to sign on to various letters that are being passed around Congress to get Biden to terminate the programs or uh, to get them to write uh, a letter to Biden. 
and Becerra. You can also write letters to the editor. You can educate just like I've done. You can show slides. It, it, we need to get the word out. And this is one of the ways. So another way you can get more information is to go to this website, protectmedicare.net, which is uh, sponsored by PNHP, Physicians for a National Health Program. They have petitions you can sign as an individual, petitions you can sign as a group. There are other groups that are working on it. For instance, Kay is working hard on this, uh, on this uh, issue. Um, there's a group called One Payer States, Healthcare Now, many, many other organizations as they become more uh, aware of this problem, they are getting active to stop the complete privatization of Medicare. So this is my last slide. I really like it, even though the spelling isn't correct. Medicare, don't privatize it, but supersize it. Because what's at stake? If, if Medicare becomes privatized, it means that seniors and people with chronic illnesses will not be able to participate in their own decisions over how they're taken care of, excuse me. The idea that healthcare is a fundamental right will be gone. It will be treated as a commodity. And there are people who truly believe market forces can control costs and improve quality. Liz Fowler is one of them. The woman who runs CMS, Chiquita brooks Lashure, is another. They truly believe Medicare and healthcare in general is a commodity and can be and follows market forces. Personally, I don't think so. Most of us don't think so at all because if one of us gets struck by chest pain, we don't go look up where the cheapest hospital is, where the cheapest emergency room is. We go to the nearest and best that we can get in terms of care because we want to get better. Um, it is not a commodity. And ultimately it's a threat to democracy. If, if corporate if corporations dominate the healthcare of our country, it can exert enormous political power. And that means these few corporations can manage not only the politics, but the, under, the foundation of our country um, at the expense of the majority of us. So remember, Medicare is not for sale. We believe, as you all believe, because you're here, Medicare is not for sale and we have to stop it uh, by working not only to stop the privatization, but continue to work for improved Medicare for all so that everyone from birth to death has access, equal access to healthcare. Um, and uh, even if we, get a single payer or Medicare for all system. Remember, their corporation will always try to push to try to privatize and destroy our public trust. However, if we establish uh, a single payer system, then it, it's much, much harder. So for instance, in Canada, which has a single payer system, there have been multiple attempts by private companies to privatize aspects of it. Finally, the Supreme Court of Canada has said, forget it, you can't do that anymore and it's written in the constitution. So this is what we need to work for. And unfortunately, as time goes on, it's getting more complicated because it's not just about insurance, it's about private equity taking over institutions that deliver actual care. So you're finding, I'm getting off on a sidetrack, but I just wanna just give you a little example. There are private equity firms that are taking over nursing homes, hospices, which there was an incredible article in The New Yorker about that, um, home health agencies, and one other big uh, institution of, oh, nursing homes. Anyway, it, you know, big institutions that actually, in, in general, institutions that provide 
delivery of care, not just insurance. And this is something we have to start looking at as well. How do we convert these private conglomerates into public trusts? But that's another, another issue for another talk at some point. So I am done. This program on the privatization of Medicare was sponsored by Kentuckians for single-payer health care and was recorded on December 15, 2022. You can go to kyhealthcare.org to watch the video.